taking forever. No worries. Happy Friday, Parish Orphans and Retrogrades. Today on my special Friday interview day, I bring to you two men who are of great importance, Mr. Matt Schlapp and Mr. Deal Hudson, who have an excellent new book out. We're going to be talking about that book. It's called, and I love this, The Desecrators, Defeating the Cancel Culture Mob and Reclaiming one nation under God. Now, this book is incredibly timely. Lots of lots of notes that that they they're hitting in this book that are right on par with things that I've been talking about a lot over the last year and publishing in my last book, Case for Patriarchy, and my forthcoming book as well. Um, I'm really excited about this interview. Matt Schlapp, you might have seen on TV, is married to Mercedes Schlapp. They are raising five daughters outside of Washington, D.C. My sixth daughter is on the way, Matt. Uh, Matt is chairman of CPAC, which hosts the largest annual political conference in America and has brought CPAC to Japan, Australia, Korea, and Brazil with plans to ramp up in Israel, Hungary, and many other countries. CPAC scores the votes of all elected legislatures, Uh, legislators and engages in politics and media regularly. Schlapp is a conservative voice who battles on all major media platforms and advises conservative elected uh, offices across the country. This is not, I can say uh, veritably, this is not an exaggeration. Matt is a media king and he's doing the job across multimedia. That's a nice word for it. Media king. Yeah. Much better. Like that? Much better. I can say this. Many men say that they're multimedia men. Matt is a multimedia. uh, He's got multimedia fiefdoms all around. Deal, for his part, uh, Deal Hudson, PhD, is the host of Church and Culture on the Ave Maria radio network. He's interviewed me before. I enjoyed that a great amount. He's the former editor of Crisis Magazine, the former head of Catholic Outreach Uh, for the presidential campaigns of George W. Bush. A convert to Catholicism at the age of 34, Hudson taught philosophy for 15 years before entering the world of Catholic publishing and politics. And their book today, The Desecrators, is a tan book. So we're extra, extra excited to couple with it, to partner with it. God bless both of you guys, and welcome to Rules for Retrogrades. Great to be here. Thanks, Tim. Nice, nice to uh, you to return the favor of me interviewing you. <laughs> it's interviews are fun, and and one knows from the podcaster's point of view that it's a relief to be interviewed because the interview d- does all the the work by asking the questions. He he sets right. them up, you knock them down. So I always enjoy being on someone else's show rather than all the work that goes into setting up my own, and that's what I'm going to do here for you guys today. So tell us, before we get into any of the nitty-gritty, who are the desecrators? How long have they been here? And what's their end game? Uh, let, me go to, uh, let me go to Deal first. Who are the desecrators, Deal? The desecrators are uh, those who actively attempt to destroy the foundation upon which we have built our church, our nation, 
our families, our basic institutions, and our own lives. They are at root anti-Christian, anti-Jewish, anti-religious, anti-any form of belief that has moral absolutes and who says tradition and the family are the context in which we should raise our children and grandchildren. Yeah, deal, uh, it's deals uh, thinking that got us to change the book's title away from this concept of cancel culture, which is kind of what the origins of writing the book were about. And uh, cancel culture means a lot of different things. The problem is it doesn't go far enough. You can be shut down for your political views. You could lose a job for your political views. Um, you can be kicked off a media platform for your political views. And of course, it's happening daily. But there's something more diabolical about a coordinated attack on anything that's beautiful, anything that's holy, anything that has truth, anything that's God-ordained, God-blessed, anything that makes people happy, anything that creates culture and society. Uh, when all those things are being attacked, by the way, not one at a time, at the same time, uh, you got to capture it with a new word. And I think Deal has captured it well with the desecrators. Yeah, that's right. I mean, we often think of them as a shadowy force. George Soros and George Soros surrogates. Who are they and where'd they come from? Well, you know, Tim, almost every day I read about a public school teacher, even first graders, second graders, third graders, not just high school teachers or junior. They are actively desecrating, even at the uh, first and second grade level, they are trying to subvert parents and lead children toward declaring their sexuality the opposite of what they were born with. So we're not just talking about a group of elitist leaders, Soros-funded leaders. We're talking about a desecrating attitude that has sept all the way down to the core of, of American culture in every institution. So we got to look at what colleges and universities have been doing for the last 40 years. We got to look at what the TV shows and, and the music. Well, you can't call it music, whatever that is. They've been playing on the radio since uh, Nat King Cole died. And then yeah. you've got to, you know, you've got to look at all that and how it shaped so many American minds and hearts toward nihilism, toward toward the exertion of power, toward saying, you must uh, become what I am. If I'm a trans person, if I'm a, a lesbian, you must become who I am because I have the power to make you that way. Yeah, M Matt, would you tell us what's the role of, I don't know, Luciferian uh, um, iconoclasm? Because that's really what the desecrators are all about. Right. In, in parsing true religion, you know, I, I guess the one one true faith, um, ecumenically from from all the other faiths that might in in some social uh, distinctions travel in the same direction as the one true faith. How ecumenical is uh, the set of desecrators in terms of uh, the way that they set their sights on the one true faith, the other faiths? Right. Do they want to destroy them all? 
Do they want to so, drive from the one true faith to the other faith? How, how does this work? It's one of the reasons why I like the the concept, the very the reality of the desecrators and this great desecration, which is it connotes the spiritual context to the battle that we're in. We end the book with the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, which uh, at least one of my daughters likes to say with me whenever I'm not on the road. Um, and I always wonder, why does a young child want to say that prayer? It's such a, such a jarring prayer. And I think our kids are, have woken up to this idea that um, life anymore is a constant battle about the little things uh, that we took for granted maybe back when Nat King Cole was alive. And I would say this all came to a head. Maybe everyone has their own experience. For me, it came to a head in the Black Lives Matter uh, summer of violence where um, uh, I couldn't believe that it was chic to murder and assassinate cops, that it was cool to burn down buildings and hold people hostage and take their private property and create new kind of uh, government structures, Chaz, CHOP. Um, it, it was insane. And I found myself in the maelstrom of, of corporate people separating themselves from me and the relationship I had had with them simply because I took to Twitter, uh, as I do anytime something terrible is happening in society to kind of what I thought was going to be to kind of be copacetic with where everybody would be, which is you can be upset and you can have a grievance, but you can't do these things. You can't, you can't, if you want to fight racism, you don't fight America. America is the place where people um, come to lead on the question of human dignity. And uh, when, when you looked at what Black Lives Matter stood for and stands for, they can scrub their websites all they want. But what they are all about is the destruction of certainly Israel, certainly the Jewish people, certainly uh, Christians, uh, certainly the Catholic Church. The family is the basic unit of, of society. Um, this was in black and white on their website. And, uh, and those of us who would criticize, say, no families, uh, you can go into Jewish cemeteries and destroy all the statues. You can burn down churches. Uh, you can be let out of jail the next day because this is a grievance over the death of George Floyd or any other thing that's happened in society. Um, Everyone, sh everyone was quiet. No one would call it out, or at least people knew the consequences uh, of what would happen if you did. Mitt Romney marched with these people. I know. He marched for abortion in nine months. That's what BLM stands for. They stand for no gender, no respect for life, no understanding of, maybe they have a great understanding of what makes us great and the history that helps imbue it. And that's why they attack it so strongly for, for anyone to stand up against them. You, you, your life is destroyed. And uh, so to me, this idea of, was it anti-Christian? Is it anti-faith? Is it anti-American? This devilish cocktail all came together and you could see it. They wrote down what they believed. It's what we used to say that they believed, but they were smarter to market themselves as being uh, something different, but their radicalism was exposed. And uh, although they have a very, uh, very expensive and well-researched slogan that goes out to the public, underneath it is this very dark thing that seeks to destroy primarily America and the concept of faith and the concept of what makes a, a human being. Precisely. 
the enemy is no longer hidden in the dark. This is uh, some of the copy from uh, the, the title page of the book. They operate in broad daylight. Attacks on Americans are clear and intensifying. Cancel culture, wokeness, public shaming, urban violence, whiteness, and critical race theory. The enemy also seeks to undermine the sacredness of human life, failing to provide basic protection for the lives of the unborn. This enemy is called the desecrators. The desecrators tear down not only monuments, but human nature, the biblical natural conception of marriage, the family, parental rights, fact-based education, traditional moral values, and the church. They leave nothing untouched, least of all etiquettal norms, which is just a strangely prominent component of all this. In this powerfully provocative book, Matt and Deal, you two provide firsthand account of the desecrators' actions and intentions. Fortunately, there's hope. We'll talk some about the hope at the end, but um, I want to ask Deal. Matt went there, a place that's very near and dear to my heart, um, not in the sense of nostalgia, but in the sense of uh, it plays a prominent role in my own life story. In the, the summer of uh, urban domestic terror, a.k.a summer of 2020 i was fired i was a theology department chairman uh, i was fired june 3rd for spearing speaking out against black lives matter and i was shocked the extent to which american centrists even even american center of right were going along with the narrative in June of 2020, for most of June of 2020, as many urban centers around the United States were and remained on fire by the hands of the desecrators. So they seem to have had their coming out party sometime between 2016 and, and um, summer of 2020. Maybe the entire time you could call it a coming out party, which is, you know, getting together and, and doing giant incantations against Trump, the, the entailment of Marina Abramovich, all of this stuff, cities on fire, them openly trying to get satanic clubs, things like this. And then just an outright um, unchecked weird relationship between municipalities who would not call them off, mayors and police departments who would not call off the desecrators. And... Um, essentially uh, thugs in the street. So what what is the point of having a coming out party like this sometime between 2016 and summer of 2020 deal strategically? Uh, it was it was a moment of harvesting. Uh, I went to college in 1967 and I didn't leave a college atmosphere into 2005 that included undergraduate master's degree at Princeton, doctorate at Emory, teaching for 10 years in Atlanta, another five years in New York City. I saw all this seeding going on. In other words, the seeds of the, dis of the disbelief, the seeds of the resentment against American, American founding, uh, the anti-Christian and especially anti-evangelical and Catholic, because we stand shoulder to shoulder. And what I saw happen was, and of course, the media has done, did nothing to challenge it. In fact, the media was the product of it. If you look at what happened to departments of, uh, of communications and, t and 
departments of education, colleges. Education media had been uh, uh, creating these media people that went into the networks, that went on cable TV. They were all products of this indoctrination going all the way back to when I was undergraduate at the University of Texas. We were fighting these battles in the late 60s. So what we see finally is a, I hate to say flowering, because it was, it's a weed really, of all of that development. And now, especially when the Democrat Party took that radical anti-American, anti-Christian agenda and made it their own, made it their platform, thought it would appeal broadly to people. And it did to a certain extent, right? And this is why when Trump came along, and I think Matt would agree, and he popped that balloon. And all of a sudden, people who had been saying, we need a leader, where can we get a voice? They found one in Donald Trump. Yeah, I'll jump in on that, um, if it's okay, Tim. And I'll just say that the um, uh, I'm going to find a nice way for saying that deal's been at this longer than I have been. But I'm just, uh, I'm just older. That's all. Uh, you know, uh, I you might be older, but everyone always thinks I'm 25 years older than I am. So I don't know whether that's good or bad. But the um, but the mostly bad. But the the I would just simply say what I noticed as a um, amiable, uh, mannerly uh, kid raised mostly in the Midwest uh, or in the South. Um, that uh, I thought that uh, one of the virtues that God imbued in me was the ability to have plenty of disagreements with people. There'd be a water's edge. There was a bourbon and branch at the end of the day. There was collegiality. There was respect, even for people we, where I had just like real disagreements with. You could comport yourself in a manner, especially in the swamp, where... Um, you would be accepted by the fact that you were civilized, understanding, not hard edged, even if you felt strongly about things. And what I had to learn the hard way was uh, I was a dupe. I bought into that. I thought that there was a code uh, where decency would be treated in kind. And what I learned over time is that um, this is a very dark uh, city. Uh, that is dominated by uh, really dark forces. They do not have uh, the American people's best interests at heart. Um, many of us have been duped for too long into this idea that there's a way to get things done uh, with this kind of uh, mode of civility. And, uh, and I have to say that by 2016, I was even advising candidates uh, uh, more than Trump uh, uh, saying, I think we're going to have to have an outsider. I mean, Carly Fiorina was a friend back then. She was the chairman of RC3. And I was telling her, boy, I don't know why you wouldn't run for president. Hillary Clinton's going to be their nominee. And uh, we need an outsider. We need someone who just doesn't care that much about the way Washington works and had an outside view. And uh, then I, I met with Trump several times and I instantly loved the fact that he just was comfortable in being who he was. Not perfect, but uh, really wonderful. And, uh, and uh, I bonded as an insider, right? Establishment, 
insider who was always a conservative, I bonded to Trump instantaneously because I knew either him or some corollary of him was exactly what we needed. And all the friends in air quotes that I had, they needed uh, to be taken down by him. And uh, at the end of this, when I, we lost so many friends and, you know, whatever, it doesn't matter. But I mean, our life just was upended. My wonderful mom, who's my hero, and I say that in the book, she's 81 years old now. She taught me how to play tennis, a mean game of tennis. She's a great competitor. And she said, son, um, if, they, if they weren't your friends through all this, if they aren't your friends after all this, they weren't your friends to begin with. And I thought, well, that's some good Brooklyn common sense. She's exactly right. And I think that's where we all have to be. It's going to be a little more uncomfortable. Our circles will be smaller. People will be viler. That's just the way it is. Just accept it. And let's do this thing. Yeah, it's sort of the philosophy of, of the gallows humor, which <laughs> eschatology being what it is, that we definitely all find ourselves now more than five or eight or 12 years ago feeling much more compelled by the eschatological, whereas a movie like, I don't know, Outbreak or something that came out in the late 90s with Rene Russo, uh, if you remember that actress. I do. I do. I do. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I had a crush on her back then. But I did too. Yeah. She was in movies for like eight years and then she just vanished. But uh, th that kind of movie, you bracket that, and then you compare that to a movie that came out with Gerard Butler in i guess 2021 called greenland and they're both about cataclysmic ostensibly world-ending events right outbreak still has this cinematic thing happening where you know it's it's a subjuncted reality you go to the movie eat your popcorn it's fun greenland i don't know if either of you have seen it but it's about a, a planet killing comet that the government all the world governments have been lying about because the people see it in the sky and only like some special elect small small number of needed people professionally needed people for the future are invited to uh, shelter one per continent for the seven continents and everybody else is just toast uh, Tim, almost quite Tim, literally Tim, so I, I want you to promise me something yeah Never ask me if I've seen a movie again. <laughs> because well, that's why I'm giving you the synopsis. I have seen it. And yeah. I could, by the way, and I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, and I you see I, the dichotomy I'm setting up. I yeah. absolutely, an yeah. outbreak, I watch Outbreak every year or two. Yeah. That you're right. I mean, the sense of that was it was a fiction, it was very compelling. But when, when Greenland was released, I looked at this. And I looked at my wife and said, you know, this could really happen this way. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Isn't that isn't that so 2022, 2021? It's like and when Matt was talking about losing friends, I've I've lost actually a great amount of friends over the last uh, four years. Also, and a lot of a lot of whom were ostensibly conservative just because I think uh, Providence I think contingent history, I think anyone with eyes to see are, we're being driven further and further to the right. Uh, understanding that, you know, to some extent, take your, take your famed conspiracy theorist. I won't name any names, but blank, whoever it was that seemed extreme to one six or seven years ago was right all along. All these things that we thought were uh, wackadoodle conspiracy theory. So as Matt's saying that, I'm just thinking, look, 
when deal you're talking about being an undergrad and a grad student uh 40 years ago i i, I was going to ask you what what are the goals of the desecrators but i'm going to answer part of the question part of the question is they were to overtake the the institutions the West, western civilizational institutions now that they've stormed them you know the last of them arguably you know the church one true faith you had military uh you know entertainment media news media lower ed higher ed uh obviously i think washington dc and the, the strictures of politics were were accomplished probably the first but now that they've got all of them sports you know, first it was uh, feminism, then it was, you know, the, the, the transvestite they agenda. They don't have golf. They don't have golf. Yeah, exactly. They don't have yeah, but, golf. Yeah. yeah but, but I mean, who, who wants that? I, I don't, some, <laughs> some people like that. You see what I'm saying? Now, what's their goal? I mean, their goal, I, I mean, their goal is power, Tim. But, but it's, I think, see, I, that's where I get, I, I want power. each of you guys to take a crack at this. Power is power is sort of the um, the efficient cause. It might be the formal cause if we're going Aristotelian on this deal, but but the the final cause, the end game. They they I think I think it's a dangerous assumption, and I'm not uh, I'm not attributing this to you, but I think a lot of conservatives are in the old mindset, 2014, 2015, a non red pilled mindset that they they just want power. It's this Machiavellian thing. You get it through bread and circuses, a kind of entitlement, Caesarian state, whatever. But then it's like, oh, wow, they're all like they're like spirit cooking, man. They're, they're doing this Faustian. They're doing Faustian bargains. This is real. We thought this was just literature. How foolish were the Christians? Why? Why are we surprised by the fact that these Faustian bar bargains are working? They knew sometime between 1930 and 2010. They had to overrun the institutions of culture. That's what the desecration was about. There's an end game to it, though, isn't there? Matt, 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 you you answer first, then deal. What's the end game now that they hold all of the institutions? I'll be honest with you. I mean, the book, um, not only did deal and myself and my wife spend time sitting on a our porch, deal and I often smoking a cigar him admiring my Stetson hat, which I still owe him one, by the way, and I know that deal. The, um, but also having a lot of conversations with my uh, brothers and sisters, with my wife, you know, those moments with your spouse when you're falling, to, falling off to sleep or waking up. And uh, we would ask ourselves over and over again, like, I can understand them wanting power. That's common, wanting power. Uh, I understand them having their own worldview. Okay, fine. What I don't understand is they've been so successful in making so many people unhappy mm -hmm. in America today, 26.5% of Americans are feeling any optimism or feeling positive about anything. Um, the, uh, in their attempt to remake everything, or as Obama said, um, to, uh, you know, uh, transform America, which Boy, what benign sounding words. Boy, those are terrible. What a terrible phrase. That started it all, by the way. And I have to think, I go back to the desecrators. I think it's more than just what we understand people want to do on this earth. There is some spiritual component to this that is downright biblical, um, where uh, whether they realize it or don't realize, it is, Deal used the word nihilism. It's 
It's nothingness and destruction and emptiness. And why would anybody want to fight for that? That that's what I can't figure out. Like, why would you want that? But that is what they are reaping. I'll add to that, that, uh, in, in history, we have seen that what people do with their power is usually to gain riches. I mean, look at the uh, president of Black Lives Matter. I think she bought, what, three or four homes mm-hmm. in different parts of... Uh, you know, deal, uh, deal, as I've told you, I call it Black Lives Matter Homeowners Association. So yeah. everyone has their uh, own. But if you look at, at <laughs> those, these, these folks who have arisen because of power who have become celebrities. That's another thing that power brings you. It brings you wealth, it brings you uh, celebrity, and it also brings you uh, social uh, 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 upward mobility. You become, you're invited to the NBC Christmas party and, and all these kinds of things. So I think that they are using their power in the way uh, people, have misused power all the way along in Western history. They have used it to subjugate those that challenge their rise rise in society and rise in the eyes of others, and to uh, only allow those who support their agenda to join with them. Tim, you. what do you think? I, I think that... <sighs> Here, I, I think there's been this red red pilling of um, at least the younger generation of conservatives, whereby pa- power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely, like Lord Acton said, blah, blah, blah. We all know that the trappings of power are, are splendor and um, self-glory and all that. So I, I feel like there's and I'm, this is this is me. There's a more explicit final cause a more explicit teleology to the power that the deals that are done so there's definitely it's it's all spiritual combat uh like like saint paul says and and yet it's one of those things one of those moments decisive moments where a conservative christian or conservative catholic says yeah it's all spiritual combat this is all you know uh, against against the powers and the principalities we strive blah 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 and everyone says it and you know i grew up in in catholic school not believing any of it then coming back to the faith when i was uh, beginning a phd in rome at the pontifical gregorian university and uh, had to leave because my first daughter was born with serious health complications but then it was right before i turned 30 right that i realized holy cow it's all real but even after that red pill moment, you know, 12, 12 years ago or whatever, I, I had red pill moments, one of which was the WikiLeaks uh, dump, where I was like, holy cow, all of Hillary's campaign, literally, look at the Podesta's brother's art collection. Look at their ties to Marina Abramovich. Look at, then you go and you read something like Goethe's Faust. And Goethe, remember, was a Freemason. He, he dabbled in all this stuff. He knew it all. You get literal special powers, and I people know I, I I I'm the last guy to believe this stuff. But one can attain special powers through doing dark deals with the devil. It's just not it, there's no other way to say it except expressly, and that is what you know. Goethe's Faust is about. That's what 
you know, all of all of the the, the retellings of that by by folks who ought to know, even in um, the great you know German musicals and things. So I I think there's a more explicit end than we conservatives who are like, oh yeah, it's all it's our spiritual combat. I think that's more true than we've ever realized, and I think that's, that's right. been that's the great red pilling. It's like they're Tim, given these I- powers. And they're given these powers with with explicit directives. That's what I think. Okay, well, as the only guy without a PhD in this conversation, I'm going to try to. I don't thumbnail. have mine yet. I'm still okay. On it, so don't worry. You have it in spirit, clearly. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going to try to thumbnail this, which is the devil is set loose. The devil feels very cocky. The devil is dominating so many elite power structures. And if you were just a rational person, you would look at this and say, it comes collapsing to an end, because what can you do when you have all of these forces against you? And I think as believers, you know, we've read the Bible, we understand how God works through history and through great leaders. And I think I would say, I would be one of those to say, I still believe that I know how this ends um, and it doesn't end with the devil winning all these battles. And that's where we are. And uh, I just think that language is very hard in a secular world. And so we dance around saying what we've all just said. Evil, Tim, as you know, cannot serve as a final end because it's nothing. It's privation. So what you're, what you're looking at is those who are pursuing evil uh, and it is motivating their conduct uh, are actually uh, bringing onto themselves a, a power, yes, but it's a power that has no grounding force in reality. And it's therefore ultimately will implode it may not imp- look at Hitler in Europe. You know, look at uh, Stalin. Look at uh, Mao. Uh, they imploded, but, but left in their wake a wasteland, as T.S. Eliot would put it. And that's what I fear will happen in our country if if we don't stop these people before they really put down roots. Let me ask. Let me ask both of you another question, Matt. Matt, you go first. Um, where the rubber meets the road, uh, this is all brought to bear. All the spiritual combat is brought to bear on the historical model of republics, which have their end in time. You know, no republic is secular secularum. Augustine wrote "City of God" about the declining Roman em- Empire. Um, also, as a, as a great student of republics, the history of republics, I mean, from Little Malta to Venice, which was over a thousand years old, to the Swiss cantons, to the English Republic, which uh, had, a, had a good run if we count the, the unwritten ancient English constitution Bernard Balin writes of, to the Roman Empire, the Greek city-states, America. There's, there's one... Uh, there's one block, one occlusion that I can't get around when I think about all of them. It's called the ratchet effect. As the governments and the culture, as the cultures grew more licentious 
and the governments grew more uh, uh, collectivist, autocratic. When that always seems to happen at the same time. Culture of the people grow more licentious as the governments grow more authoritarian. It's a ratchet effect. There's no going back. That there's not one historical instance of the government growing into a Leviathan the way the government has here from 1788 when we ratified the Constitution and the states were the real country to now. Um, in any of that long list of republics, which all had longer runs in the sun than we did, by the way, all of them except for, you know, a little Malta even went way over a thousand years, all of them aside from the Swiss cantons last in the, which were just under a thousand years. We're like in our teenagehood America, um, all of the diabolical forces at play in the culture and in the, the government centralized there in the nerve center in DC, they seem to insinuate, and I can't get around it as a student of history and constitutional history, that it's, it's a, a balkanize or die situation for America. And I wrote about this in my first book, uh, Catholic Republic. About, do we believe 1776 was a one-time proposition? Is that what we're celebrating when we uh, eat hot dogs and, and watch fireworks each July 4th? Or are we celebrating that there is, as Aquinas, Bellarmine, the Solomonkin school of Spanish Jesuits before Jesuits turned gay, um, do we believe that there's a right of rebellion? And this is not a one-time proposition. Um, okay, so do you see how I'm, how yeah. I'm counterposing this, Matt? Yeah, Matt yeah, I, 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 I won't mention the person's name, but there's a very famous um, conservative thinker who told me we have to refound America, and that those words ring in my head. And, and I would say, uh, 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 you know, you, you could go on and on about the history of all those experiences of government with a somewhat free people. And I, I do think America is unique in having a written constitution, which is why they try so hard to destroy the meaning of words, because we have such a unique thing here. We actually write down what these rights are. We write them down so they can't be violated. And they are being violated because there's no truth that a word means nothing anymore. That's why that's so important in the American context. And we have this idea of separation of powers, which is being violated on a regular basis by this new socialist Marxist element in the Democratic Party, which dominates the Democratic Party, that fight has been had and won. The, the Marxists and the radicals own the Democratic Party. The rest is marketing. Now, separation of powers, a written constitution, and federalism, these concepts are incredibly important. They're not throwaway lines, because I think you're right. What are we facing? Uh, I live outside of Washington, D.C. I live here because of Washington, D.C. and Northern Virginia. I can no longer go into Washington, D.C., because I refuse to comply with the idea that I have to give my papers to enter my capital. That's outrageous. No matter what those papers were for, otherwise, other than to prove citizenship and legal status, there's no papers that should be asked for. Uh, so what will happen as they begin to ratchet down on us? I'll use your ratchet analogy in another way. Ratchet down on us with this left-wing fascism. Uh, we will flee. We will all have to flee within blue states to unincorporated areas, to mountains, to hilltops, blah, blah, blah. Or we'll flee to DeSantis's Florida or Texas or Tennessee or wherever this is. So there's a great reckoning coming and here's what's gonna happen. Anybody with uh, a successful and thriving business will have that business in a red state. Don't believe me? 
have a couple of cocktails with anybody who's running a tech company in California. They're moving the guts of their operation out of California, no matter what the ideology is of the board of directors. They all know that that's a death in the long run for their companies. Every company in this country, there is a great internal migration going on in this country with anybody who's functional. If you have a, if you have a functional family structure, you cannot any longer raise that family in, in a blue state. You cannot raise that family in New York City or Washington, D.C. or Chicago for the first reason. You're probably just going to, one of you is going to get shot eventually. Carjackings right. are up almost 50% in Washington, D.C. Um, so th there's a great reckoning happening with Florida becoming ruby red, Texas becoming ruby red, a state deal used to live in. Um, uh, people are moving. It's creating great shift. So this is a real life experiment. This is no longer your book asking theoretical questions. This is going to happen. The red states are going to thrive. The blue states will crumble even more than we're seeing. They will all go into default. Then we have this great question. Do the red states, which I think the new capital is Miami, that is the true city that governs this hemisphere. And we're just, I just came from there. It's unbelievable what's happening in that city. Uh, matter of fact, you know, the seat of the Catholic Church in America was always New York City. I think it's going to be Miami uh, in the future. And I just, you know, this real question is, will the red states then bail out the blue states? Because that's what will have to happen if we're to stay this one union or do, or do, or is there a division? I'm not smart enough to know what the answer is that, but I can tell you all that is happening in real time right now. But do you, uh, I'm, I want to read you before, before we get deals answer, Matt, I just want to respond to a couple things. I think it's really clear what ought to happen. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys have read the Virginia or the Kentucky resolutions by uh, Madison and Jefferson in particular, but even Jefferson wrote from the White House, I think in 1801, he wrote as president of uh, the future of American happiness matters not whether or not the Americans are 13 peoples or four peoples, some of the moderate anti-federalists wanted kind of the, the 13 colonies split up to four states or one. So the, the union does not matter. True America lies wherever true Americans live. So the idea is, look, the Marxists, the desecrators, the title of your, your excellent book out now, we're going we're gonna to tell people, go buy this book on Amazon. It's a tan book. Go buy it from tan books or from amazon.com. The desecrators are here and they can't be bargained with. They can't be dialogued with. It was never real dialogue in the first place. So once everyone gets to the red states, and I, this is a big thing for me because I moved from California to Mississippi, the reddest of the red states, and it doesn't have any big cities to queer it. Um, People get from your blue states to red states. Get, I always tell people, get from the blood red swath of red states between Texas and Florida. That's what I'm always urging the parish orphans and retrogrades out there. I say, go to realestateforlife.org. People do so. You heard Matt Schlapp talking about it. We did not pre-talk about this. You got to get there. Go to realestateforlife.org and get to one of the red states anywhere from Texas to Florida. Um, but I'm saying, okay, the, the kind of quiet part, I don't say out loud too often is get here. You'll be able to trust your neighbors. Every one of my, I live around a pond. Every one of my neighbors uh, had a Trump flag up. Some of them kept them up it up until a couple months ago. It's, it's an assumption you you're dealing with, with sane people. These are all Baptists. They think I'm the weird Papist, but I don't <laughs> mind. So, but, but the, the quiet part, 
that I don't say out loud too often is once we all get here, that's, you know, then it will, this will have proven to just be the first step. And that's why I ask people, do we, do we believe in this weird secular secularum earthly paradise called 50 state America? Or can we get, can we get, uh, you know, it was Jefferson Wright from, from the white house in 1801. Does, can true America exist in the true Americans that are what we call red staters? Deal, I want to hear from you, but Matt, do you have any, any kind yeah, of well, I, You may not know, but I wrote a book on the history of the idea of happiness. And uh, I wrote a whole chapter on Jefferson view of happiness as expressed, not just in the declaration, but elsewhere. And I am a Jeffersonian. I am uh, anti-Hamiltonian. And I do believe that what you, when you say refounding, Matt described a gradual process of refounding that is going on. The fact of your podcast is a, an example of the refounding. What's happening in Loudoun County is an example of the refounding. What's when you see these uh, statistics on who is moving where, when we see the statistics on what the per capita uh, income of these red straight and how it's growing and job opportunities and so forth. There is a form of refounding without there being a, const a new constitutional convention. We don't wanna have a constitutional convention until we can control it. And right now, if we had a new constitutional convention, it would be, it, we would end up in a gulag state, except that the difference being it would be constitutionally devised gulag state. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm more talking about a secession movement, but that's that's kind of the quiet part. Well, that, uh, no, but this are... this begins with, uh, yeah, no, you're right. This just like it's it's uncomfortable or maybe even ineffective within a secular context to talk about the spiritual nature of this battle, this war we're in. Um, it's also uncomfortable when you have bought into this idea that Abraham Lincoln help save a union um, to try to dissolve that union. But the problem is, is that if the foundational uh, document can be so watered down as to take away and, and destroy this compact that, uh, that we have as a people, um, it'll be hit by the economic realities and the cultural realities, I think, first, before you get to the political ones. Number one, the first question is in, in this question, what are we going to do with Chicago, L.A., San Francisco and these cities that are just going to crumble? Uh, and by the way, the, the human misery that goes along with that. It's one thing we can talk about it like as a concept, but like you're talking about misery on biblical proportions. Um, you know, what will these red mega capitals do vis-a-vis -vis all those people? Um, uh, will they become migrants into the red states where they're just completely taken care of with a brand new concept of a welfare state? Uh, what's what's going to happen with all of that dysfunction? that's associated with the crumbling. So it's an economic decision, I think, that's made. And the secondary question is, if, 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 human, if human misery is at an all-time high in America because of these uh, obnoxious attempts to desecrate everything, um, what's interesting is with Deal's book on happiness, what you're gonna find is in red states, you're gonna find high levels of happiness, human contentment, functionality, uh, church uh, attendance will be high. Uh, literacy rates will be high. Uh, wealth will be accumulated. And how does that juxtapose 
with these neighboring states where the opposite's happening. And I think that's when you get into the questions of how do those two, how do these entities survive together? I, I don't, I don't like where my brain goes with that. Well, I think Tim mentioned secession and our friend, Frank Buckley, Matt wrote a book on the issue of upcoming secession. And he makes the case, Tim, I don't know if you've read the book or interviewed Frank Buckley. He makes it very likely that if this situation, if, if this bifurification of our culture continues, that there will be attempts at secession. And I, and if you ask the original question, do we still have a right to secede or to rebel? The answer is obviously yes. You read the Declaration of Independence, Jefferson uh, articulates under what condition the, the natural right to rebel uh, and form your own nation, what, what the, those conditions are. I just say one thing to both of you gentlemen. I don't know why the onus is always on us. I think what you're going to find is the reason they cheated so much in the last election is there actually is fewer of them. We never ask ourselves that basic question. You don't cheat in golf if you're going to kill everybody in your foursome. And the uh, and so there really are more of us than there are of them. And actually, aren't they seceding from the promise? And <laughs> there we go from the promise. And this uh, understanding we have as a people that came together to form this government and not vice versa. I don't find, I don't think I'm seceding by following the constitution. I think they're breaking away from the compact just because they might have the political majority in the nation's capital. That's why I say where I think it's going to be, you know, I can't enter the capital. Maybe you two can't either. You can't go to the capital half of the times because there's a damn wall around it. We don't even have access to our capital to redress our grievances. So we're gonna to have, to have to have an alternative method by which to do that. And whether this is formalized or not, it's happening. Could, would, you guys, would you guys be willing to, I think it was my first question. I'm smiling widely here. Who is they? Who are the desecrators? The book is called The Desecrators. People, you can go, go get it now on amazon.com. Tan books also, uh, you can order direct from them. But the book is called The Desecrators. Who are the desecrators? Because you're saying, well, there's more of us than there are them. I'm skeptical there. I'm skeptical there because I think there are enough that are complicit in their program willingly or or semi-willingly to to make me skeptical there, Matt. But we need to identify who they are because I don't know if I like the onus shifting. You know, Jefferson and Madison and, and Jefferson and Adams and Patrick Henry in the middle 1770s, they weren't saying, hey, British, you know, Great Britain left us. They were saying, look, we're, we're leaving. We're, we're leaving, you know, from Aquinas to Bellarmine to Juan de Mariana to the Solomonkins. They all said there's a right of rebellion. And, um, you know, our country was founded, remember, because there was a small tariff placed on our breakfast beverage. Right. I mean, the idea of capitation, there's an income tax. I, I have an article out called the Declaration of Grievances where you just you, you look, and I wrote that article 10 years ago, you look at the, what the grievances were in 1776 versus what we cuckolded men of 2022 live with. And it's, Speak you know, for yourself. Well, <laughs> figuratively cuckolded. Yeah, I mean, look, I wrote, I wrote the case for patriarchy, man. No, I mean, what, what, what we, we nationally cuckolded men. I'm talking about states' rights here. We live with, I mean, 
the, the, the national government uh, in America in 2022 is so much more tyrannical than parliament in 1776 that like, and it has everything to do with the desecrators who run all the institutions of culture plus the government there in D.C. So all I'm saying is comment on that or just tell us who are okay, they? I'll, I'll start the list and I'll let Matt continue. Okay. Almost all universities and colleges, not every faculty member within them, because there are faculty members within them that survive, you know, either because they keep their political views to themselves or whatever their views of Black Lives Matter, unlike you did, Tim. You know, you had to get out there and say, wave a flag and say, shoot me, you know. And so I uh, then we have a particularly the media, the mainstream media, which, of course, there was no better critter, uh, uh, evaluator of that than the late Rush Limbaugh, who taught all of us so much. Mm-hmm. And then the uh, and I want Matt to address this. What has happened to corporate boards? What has happened to corporate uh, high-level staff? Why have they embraced the desecration, Matt? Yeah, I know that's true. I would say we've lost every elite uh, institution, power structure in society, except for moms and dads. And that's why they're attacking moms and dads in Virginia. And they thought they'd get away with attacking moms and dads and silencing them because it's worked so effectively as you just described him in every other way, but somehow moms and dads said, wait a minute. Even liberal moms and dads said, well, now wait a minute. I got a right to see what books you're giving my kids in the library, and I got a right to see what's on the syllabus. And uh, so that final level of government, the most important one, all of a sudden they went too far. I can't believe it took that far for them to say it went too far, but I would say to deal on the corporate piece, it might be the piece I understand the best because it's where I've spent my time here in Washington advising big, you know, investors and companies and foundations. And they always hired me over the course of the last decades to give the conservative perspective, to give the Christian perspective, to give the Republican perspective. And, you know, uh, what's happened over time, and I just can't believe the speed at which it's happened, is uh, corporations are literally making it as impossible as they possibly can for their own economic allies to prosper politically. Right. And just let that sink in. Everything that allows them to prosper as a company is opposed by this new Marxist Democratic Party. Everything. Right. And yes, you have companies that uh, survive because they get earmarks and a franchise and special favors and the corruption and rent seeking is, you know, as big as it's ever been in Washington. So maybe we put those companies to the side, but just the idea that they can destroy the Republican party at the same time, they're trying to enhance the democratic party, that the chamber of commerce has become a functionary of the democratic party. I call it the Chamberlain of commerce, that these entities are opining more on matters of culture that have nothing to do with their, uh, their central profit centers um, just shows you that uh, you know, if ExxonMobil can get two or three board members uh, through, through a hostile action onto their board, and those board members lead an effort to, to exit Exxon from major fossil fuel operations, it just shows you, it's back to your initial question, 
What do they seek? This is this is insanity. When ExxonMobil starts to fail from a fossil fuel standpoint, who succeeds? We know who succeeds. We can't read an article on the front page of any paper without reading about OPEC. We hadn't talked about OPEC for 10 years. Yeah. Donald Trump had made OPEC a eunuch. And now they are, we have the American president begging them to pr- produce at certain levels. Um, you know, it, it, why would we be for that, right? Back to the same question. And I think for corporations, it's simple. It's all short-term thinking. You can talk about the divine and the eternal and your eternal reward. Obviously, it has nothing to do with what these decisions are. It's five-year thinking. I'm the CEO. Here's my compensation package. I'm never going to last more than five years anyway. I got to hit that stock every quarter along the way. If I destroy the company, but I can get it, keep it going for five more years, I win and I'm out. And that's what's going on in these corporate boardrooms. And the secondary thing is we have been too quiet. We have whispered. We have backed off. We have been uncomfortable talking about certain issues. We have allowed the left to flood the boardroom with complaints. And it's why people like me uh, had our businesses destroyed because we could get fingered by some blogger to say this guy's a racist because he criticizes Black Lives Matter and you're gone in 11 minutes. And that's happening all over this country. And once again, I actually do think we're the majority. And unfortunately, we are the silent majority. And if we keep being silent, there'll be nothing left to fight for. Well, we've talked about everything from the spiritual combat to the rubber meeting the road in Fortune 500 companies. Why, why did Gillette take it on the chin uh, and, and criticize all men in the name of wokeism? Uh, we've, we've talked about who the desecrators are and who they attack. And I'm, I'm really excited about this book. It's called The Desecrators. It's out now, and you guys can get it on Amazon. And did this thing do well in, in pre-order uh, deal? Yeah, it has done well. Yeah. Yeah. Deals the experienced author. He's telling me it's doing well. He's got me running scared trying to sell every book I can. So it's, it's a nice partnership. No, it's it good. is a That's great good. partnership. And uh, <laughs> Matt, just let me say publicly how much I really enjoyed our working together and look forward to uh, working with you to get this book out there as widely as possible. Yeah. People go pick up a copy now, uh, amazon.com, Tan Books. Of course, I, I partner with them. I'm, I'm a Tan author myself, and Tan sends me the, the most exciting authors to, to interview. So uh, do you guys have any parting shots here? I want to, in a three-part interview, I wanna, always want to make sure everyone gets everything off their chest. Any, any parting shots for the parish orphans and retrogrades out there who are within a week going to be reading your book, Desecrators? I want to say one thing about you talked about what is the formal cause for all this nonsense. And I, when I look at things like climate change, which has driven the ExxonMobil ridiculousness, when I look at things like abortion, when I look at things like uh, black lives matter, these are false absolutes. They had, they've attained almost religious status, what Paul Tillich would call ultimate concern. And so when you look at why the passion is going so fervently through in the wrong direction, well, I think it is the fact that these things have become substitutes for religion, which, of course, the heart desires a true religion. If it doesn't find the true one, they'll pick a false one, and they have. 
Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll simply say that um, uh, as the father of young kids, don't discount um, the effort to turn our kids against us. And that's what I see in a very kind of everyday, in a very everyday way. Uh, you know, all the content that's coming out of these media companies, it's coming out of uh, those boxes we still have, those screens we still have in our houses. Uh, we've, we've made one decision in our house, and we did this over the Black Lives Matter violent summer. We really pretty much turned off those boxes. It doesn't mean that we obviously have screens and that's how I get my news and all the rest, but I think we have to go back to this idea of turning a lot of this off and if you have young kids or grandkids in your house, turn it off. Read a book out loud. I cannot believe my family is, we are reading books out loud. I would have mocked and laughed at those families that were doing that. We are those families. We are, and that leads the family to pray together more often than we ever would have before. Uh, so although this is a very dark time in every conceivable way, I'm telling you within the family structure, the most important government structure we have in our society, there's something wonderful happening where families are reconnecting to each other. They understand that we need each other. And I don't think that's just because people are making the right decisions. I think that's because the spirit is alive and God has not given up on us and he has not given up on America. And I think that we have to continue to work together to make people feel that there is still hope and optimism. Don't give up. And if nothing else, do everything you can to raise those kids in the right order. And that's what our last chapter does. It's practical. What are the things you can do starting tomorrow to protect those kids and grandkids? Beautiful. The book is The Desecrators, Parish Orphans of Retrogrades. Go get it now. Can I, can I um, synthesize with a little parting shot of my own? I would say people, if you can, if you can, homeschool your kids. If you can... Amen. Don't go to college. That's my forthcoming book with Dr. <laughs> Michael Robillard, who's a philosophy PhD, a, a, a Army Ranger, 82nd Airborne, and a smart, smart, tough guy. Don't go to college. Both of us are disaffected academics. Pray with your family. Keep in mind the third secret of Fatima has not yet been fully revealed, which spellbound all of the world and all of the world's press. Remember, after uh, October 13, 1917, we need to bear the third secret of Fatima in mind. We need to, the single cell of society is the family, as Matt pointed out. We need to strengthen the bonds with our families. Um, you know, Aristotle refers to the father as uh, the, the best friend of the son. And it's a friendship between unequals. And this is actually the, the ground for the closeness of that bond. We need to strengthen the family and, and we need to be ready for a fight. Could, can both of you guys agree that with a book called The Desecrators, I'm in this place where we need to stop being polite. We need to stop being worry, worrying about being called racist. We need to stop being worried about being called homophobe or uh, transvestitism phobic. We need to just say, come what may. Right. When in 1776, Jefferson et al., who had far more to lose than any of us, said, look, we're going against the most powerful empire in the history of the world. They're, of course, they're going to call us some names. That's the least about what's going to happen. Can we all end on this? The desecrators will call us names and folks out there, parish orphans, retrogrades. If you care what names the Marxist, Masonic, Luciferian desecrators call you. 
then you are not anywhere near the correct headspace for the fight. You guys take us out on that. I just say amen, amen, Tim, and I, I welcome any attacks because that means we're drawing blood, and that's what we want to do. And I think Deal had a great uh, chapter title in one of in one of these chapters was Trump never wavered, and I think one of the things that comes out in the book is that uh, they will go after viciously anybody who's actually effectively taking ground back. So yeah. if you see anybody really, really getting destroyed by these entities, go find that person because they're probably doing something good. Amen. God bless you guys. Pejrovin's Retrogrades, get the book, The Desecrators, get to a red state today. Go to realestateforlife.org. And Matt, Deal, thank you guys for coming on the show today. We're, I'm ready for the fight. Thank you. Me too. Thanks, Tim. This was awesome. Yes. Yeah. God bless you, Crusaders, Parish Orphans, Retrogrades. Get ready for the fight once coming. Deus Volt. Amen. <laughs> Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit.